As Lucas mentioned, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the staff members here at Integrity. Um, I'll tell you, I said this in the 9 o'clock, it's really hard to time when to walk out with that song playing. At the 9, I walked out, I like raced up here and then stood awkwardly for 30 seconds. So got a little better that time, but now I feel, as I'm saying it out loud, I've made it awkward again, so I apologize <laughs> for that. Um, last week, we started a new series in the book of Acts, um, and this is actually our second time being in the book of Acts. The first time that we did this as a church was back in 2016. Um, if you want to go back and listen to those original sermons, you can. They're all available on our Integrity Church podcast. Uh, you just have to scroll back. I checked this morning. If you scroll back to 2016, in February 7th is the date that it came out, and it's called Empowered by the Spirit. Our labeling has gotten better since 2016, so now you can actually see the scripture, I'm pretty sure. But then look for Empowered by the Spirit. And just a disclaimer, the audio is not great. We did not used to meet underwater. It's just a really staticky uh, if you go back and listen to it. Um, today, we are going to be looking at Acts 9, 19 through 31. Acts 9, 19 through 31. If you were a believer in the early church and you were told that Saul of Tarsus was coming over for dinner... How would you prepare based on his reputation and what you knew about him? I know for me, probably pack a knife just in case things get dicey. Uh, you might prepare all day to have an exit plan. You might even put laxative in the brownie so you can get a head start. Uh, but you know that you're, it's probably not going to be a great dinner. You're probably going to dread it all day because it could end with you in prison. Um, now, if you were a believer in the early church and you were told that the Apostle Paul was coming over for dinner, how would you prepare for him based on his reputation. And you know, for that, that's different, right? Uh, much better reputation. We're taking notes all day trying to think what questions we want to ask him because a lot of the letters, there's a lot of questions that we have. A lot of it doesn't make sense necessarily. We want to roll out the red carpet, so we're making cast iron skillet pizzas. We got brownies. We got coffee. We want to keep them a while and really engage with the Apostle Paul. So different there. Our reputation is how other people view us, and it holds a lot of weight. We decide how to interact with others based on their reputation. So how do other people view you this morning? Do they dread sharing a meal with you, or are they excited about it and they're prepping all day? Today, we're going to talk about the difference between our identity and our reputation, and how Saul's reputation changed when his identity changed. Since this is just the second week of the series, I wanted to begin with an overview of the context of today's passage. As Ben mentioned last week, the book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It's a really fun fact I don't think I knew of till recently. Uh, both Luke and Acts were written as a narrative. And by, def de by definition, that means a story. And it's worth noting that there are different literary genres in Scripture that range from narrative to poetry to prose discourse, and we approach each one differently. So, for example, if you're setting out to read Lord of the Rings... You know, you're mentally prepping for this. It's a big story. There's a lot of characters, a lot of settings, a lot of names we don't know how to pronounce. You know it's going to take a long time. Tolkien's mapped this thing out. You're going to approach that differently than you would, say, reading a letter in your mail. You're not going to be looking at all the names in the letter of your mail and trying to get all those down unless it's a sudden link bill. Keep those names in your pocket. Talk about reputation. Uh, also, if you're going to watch Star Wars, right, you've got 
you're trying to get the story, do I start with episode four, which originally came out, or do I start with episode one and watch all the way through? Do I just skip the last trilogy? Do I just watch The Mandalorian because the story's better? I don't know. The story, though, you're approaching it differently than you would watching a do-it-yourself video on how to install drywall, right? Like, you're not going to start with the joint compound on that video and then go back and watch how to cut the pieces. That wouldn't make sense. So you're approaching the videos differently, and it's the same with Scripture. We're going to approach Acts differently than we would approach, say, Paul's letter to the Galatians, because they're two different kinds of literary work. Um, The Bible Project has an incredible collection of resources if you want to learn more about how to interpret different literary genres. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, it's a crowdfunding group up in Seattle that their whole mission is just to make the Bible make more sense and show how it's one story that leads to Jesus. And they have videos on each book of the Bible to help it make more sense. And they also have extra videos uh, such as how to read the Bible. And the whole, they have a whole video on the liter- literary genres. makes it make a lot more sense. Um, we actually have a few of the Bible Project videos available on the Acts Study Guide on our website. Um, that was a shameless plug for the Bible Project. You can visit BibleProject.com or just Google Bible Project. It's been very helpful for me um, as I study Scripture. Um, so Acts is a story written to a man named Theophilus. And like any good story, there are characters, a setting, and a plot. You'll notice that the characters and settings jump around a little bit. So like you see, we start with, the, with Jesus with the apostles. We see the apostles working a little bit with Pentecost. We see it focused on Peter a little bit, and then recently focused on Stephen, and then to Saul. But the plot is steady. The book begins showing how the church started after Jesus ascended to heaven, how the believers received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, how the early church grew in faith, boldness, and size. There was preaching, praying, healing, sharing, and most importantly, love for one another. In chapter 2, we see a great depiction of what the fellowship of believers looked like at that time. So let's take a look at Acts 2. This is 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they rejoiced, or they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." So I know all of us have had to look for a church to join at some point in our lives, and I'm sure down in the future we will again if we end up moving from Greenville. Um, you know when you're looking for a church, you're looking for a healthy church to join. You're, some of you are looking for the, the preaching content, making sure it's gospel-centered. Some of you are drawn to the music. You're like, well, the music was good, but the preaching was iffy. Maybe we can stay. Or the, the music was kind of rough, but the preaching was good. I think we can stay. Or maybe they had both, uh, but I don't know if all came upon every soul, uh, so I don't know. But this early church checks all the boxes. They have the community, they have the preaching, they have the singing, they're doing their whole life together. However, as awesome as this community sounds to us, uh, there are some that were not a fan. The Jews in Jerusalem were annoyed that the Christians were proclaiming Jesus as Savior of the world. And in order to combat this teaching, they began to persecute the church. First, they threw the apostles in prison a few times, 
And then eventually it led to them stoning one of the first deacons, Stephen, to death. And I want us to read the passage right after Stephen's death. This is in Acts 8, 1 through 3. And Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here we see the characters, the setting, and the plot. What began as an exciting new community in Jerusalem quickly spread throughout the surrounding areas to avoid persecution. Now Saul is seeking to extend his reach beyond Jerusalem, beginning with Damascus. The crazy part is that Saul would have viewed himself as the good guy in this story. From his perspective, he was freeing the Israelites from running away to another false god. If you read the Old Testament, you know that they had a track record of doing this, or a reputation of doing this, if you will. So Saul is trying to save them from doing this again. This Jesus is a false god in his eyes. He's trying to save them. The believers certainly didn't think that Saul was the good guy in the story. His reputation for ravaging the church was growing fast. I want to point out here the distinction between identity and, uh, sorry, reputation. Identity and reputation. Um, Identity is how we view ourselves. Our reputation is how others view us. So, for example, if you think you're a grill master and you take orders of the steaks, but all your friends know that you're going to burn the food, you know, you're identifying one way, your reputation says something else. In my case, all of the orders are either raw or black, charred. Same with hot dogs. I can't do any of it. If you can grill, kudos. Uh, Another example, if you think that you're the best player on the court, and all your friends think that you're a ball hog, you have a different identity than a reputation. Or for example, uh, you may think you're a genius, but all your friends think that you're a know-it-all. You know, different identity and reputation. Let's see how Saul would have viewed himself based on his reputation. So Saul's identity is he's a religious zealot um, doing God a favor. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Top of his class, he knows his Torah frontwards and backwards. He kept the traditions and he followed the law. But what was his reputation? He was a murderer, ravaging the church, making havoc. He wants to make havoc. Uh, taking prisoners, being a persecutor. So it does not line up. Saul genuinely believed he was doing God a favor by getting rid of the Christians. He would not have identified himself as a murderer, but the believers were all afraid of him. And then last week, we saw a plot twist as Jesus chose to save Saul and use him to, as a witness to proclaim the gospel. Which brings me to the point, the, the big idea of today's message, and that is Jesus saves regardless of our reputation. Jesus saves regardless of our reputation. Before Christ, Saul's identity didn't match his reputation. When Jesus saves us, our identity in Christ will ultimately change our reputation in the world. We see this truth on full display in today's passage. Remember, at this point in the story, Saul has just become a believer, and now Ananias has been asked to have him over for dinner. So he actually had to live out the icebreaker we did earlier. Uh, And he was introduced at that time to some of the believers in Damascus. 
Let's see what happens next in the story. Join me, if you will, Acts 9, 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who were called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Here we see evidence that Jesus has transformed Saul's life. His new identity doesn't match his old reputation, and this is hard for both sides to accept. The Christians and the Jews are both confused. So imagine how this felt for the Jews living in Damascus. They're thinking, you know, these Christians that have started out in Jerusalem, now they've made the way to our town, and they're confusing all of us Jews into thinking that Jesus is the Christ. And now we hear, oh, this Saul guy is coming to town. That's awesome. He can throw these guys in prison, get rid of them, kind of squash this movement. Um, and then Saul shows up, and he's like, psych, I switched teams. And now he's proclaiming Jesus. And they're feeling about as disappointed as the New York Knicks when they thought they were going to get Zion. So a lot of disappointment going on. How do you think the Christians felt now, though? So the Christians, they just fled Jerusalem, right? So they're, they're afraid of their, for their lives. They escape. They get to Damascus. Now they hear Saul is following them. So now they're terrified all over again. They've got to repack, leave town, and scatter some more. So you've got really scared, really disappointed. Side note, by the way. Notice that Saul's name hasn't changed at this point in the story. It's still Saul. It's a common misconception that Jesus changed Saul's name upon becoming a believer, but it actually doesn't change till halfway through chapter 13. The name Paul was just the Greek equivalent of Saul, and he most likely switched it up to better, to re, better relate um, since his ministry was primarily to the Gentiles. It has nothing to do with the point of today's passage. just blew my mind when I found out. I went 30 years thinking that he got saved and got switched to Paul, and it's not the case. Matt Wagner actually pointed it out. He's like, check it out in your Bible. And I looked, and sure enough, there it is. Luke just casually switches it halfway through chapter 13. So fun fact for the day has nothing to do with this. I'm sorry. Back to the story. <laughs> just had to share it with you because it blew my mind. So this is Acts 9, 23 now. When many days had passed... The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So now we see the hunter becoming the hunted. As the believers grow in their trust of Saul, the Jews are growing in their hatred for him. His reputation is changing now. This culminates in the Jews trying to murder Saul and the subsequent aid of the believers to help Saul escape. He knows he can't stay in Damascus now, and he knows he has to run. So the believers sneak him out the window, and let's see what happens next in the story. So this is Acts 9, 26 now. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, but they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. 
And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, which are the Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So even though Saul has been a believer now for three years, and he's been a witness of the gospel in Damascus, his old reputation still haunts the believers in Jerusalem. So imagine how this feels for Saul. You know, you've been a believer for three years now, preaching the gospel, building up this community in Damascus that loves you so much they're willing to sneak you out a window. And you show up in Jerusalem, you have to start all over again. The Jews still hate you. That hasn't changed. But the Christians are all afraid of you again. So he's probably not feeling too hot. But I mean, imagine how this feels for Stephen's friends and family. You know, three years ago, this guy just murdered your family member or close friend, and now he's back. And now he's, it almost seems insulting. He's saying, psych, I'm on your team now. So they're probably not feeling too great either. Um, so not, not a wonderful climate for Saul to be walking back into Jerusalem. But then enter Barnabas. You know, Barnabas shows up, and he's like, no, I've, I've heard the story of this guy. He became a believer on the road to Damascus. He's the real deal. I've seen him live it out for the last three years. His reputation has changed. He puts his neck on the line for Saul, and the apostles bring him in. And this later results in the two of them becoming pretty close, uh, so much so that they go on missionary journeys together, which we'll see later in the narrative. Ultimately, Saul's new identity in Christ is affirmed, and he ironically picks up right where Stephen left off by proclaiming Jesus in Jerusalem to the Hellenists, which is exactly what Stephen was doing at the point before getting stoned. This once again brings persecution for Saul, and once again he's rescued by the believers. Now he's being shipped off to his hometown of Tarsus, where he will remain until Barnabas comes to get him later in chapter 11, which we'll see. In today's part of the story, we see a major heart change in one of the main characters of Acts. There's a night and day difference between what we read earlier in chapter 8, right after Stephen's stoning, and then what's going on at the end of this passage. Notice the character development and how the plot is progressing. Before Saul met Jesus, his mission was to persecute Christians, but now his mission is to proclaim Jesus alongside of the Christians. Before Saul met Jesus, his identity was a religious zealot trying to save the Israelites from running astray. Now his identity is a servant of Christ. Before Saul met Jesus, the church was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, escaping Jerusalem with their lives. Now the church throughout Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So what about Saul's reputation? How has that changed over the course of this story? Well, he actually highlights this in his letter to the Galatian church. And you'll remember we studied Galatians in the fall. This is Galatians 1, 21 through 24. Paul's saying, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And when he's saying that, he means his hometown of Tarsus and then later in Antioch, where Barnabas will get him. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So everything changes 
when Saul meets Jesus. And this isn't the first time that Jesus chooses somebody that had a bad reputation. So if you'll think back in the Gospels, uh, the apostle Matthew was a tax collector. And I don't, I'm not a scholar of tax collecting, but I know that it was a bad reputation. The Jews didn't like him. The Greeks didn't like him. The Romans didn't like him. Tax collectors just generally are not liked. He's the sudden link customer service rep of today. So Matthew has this bad reputation. Jesus still chooses him and brings him into his closest 12. Um, I'm sure the other 11 disciples didn't love that either. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen The Chosen. Uh, how many of you guys have seen The Chosen, the new show that's coming out? Morgan and I like it. Um, they actually do a really good t- uh, job showing kind of the backstory of Matthew. It is fictional, but it's really neat thinking about what it must have been like for a tax collector to be a follower of Jesus. Because, I mean, with his identity change, he's no longer, hi, I'm Matthew the tax collector. He's, I'm Matthew, the one chosen by God, which makes a huge difference. So everything changes for Matthew when he meets Jesus. And this is true for us today as well. When Jesus saves you, he gives you a new heart and thus a new identity. And this new identity will always result in a new reputation. So what does the reputation of a believer look like? Well, let's see what Jesus says in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As a believer, we will be known for our love for one another. Think back to that example that we saw in Acts 2 of that early church and the way that they were doing everything for each other for the benefit of the gospel and the building up of the church. What about us this morning? What's your reputation today? What are you known for? Next time you sit down with your family and friends, ask them how they view you. It may surprise you. It's an uncomfortable exercise, but it really does pay off. Um, I'm talking about uh, when, when we meet Jesus, our identity becomes less and less about making a name for ourselves and more and more about proclaiming the name of Jesus. And speaking of identity, I wanted to share this with you guys. Uh, I've been helping Kirk Birch move this week, and I don't know if you guys had the pleasure of meeting Kirk. Um, unfortunately, they're moving this Tuesday. Uh, but as I was helping Kirk, he has this giant library of books that I was helping him move, and he had gems of bookmarks that were just wonderful. Some of them are like the really tacky 1970s kind of stuff. But there was one that I saw that really struck my attention because of this passage. And it's this laminated bookmark that says, understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential to your success at living the victorious Christian life. And I'm not going to read you the whole card, but I just want to share this first section with you. Each of these have a different passage of scripture that goes along with it. But it says, who am I? I am accepted because I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I'm unified with the Lord and when one spirit with him. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. And there's two other whole sections of this that shows that you're accepted, you're secure, and you're significant. And it's so easy for us with our identity of how we think about ourselves, especially for myself, typically comes at a negative lens. I don't like to think the the best of myself, but in our identity in Christ, we see a quite different story, and it's all because of what Jesus did. It has nothing to do with our actions. Do you understand your identity in Christ this morning? 
Do you know that as a believer, you're accepted, secure, and significant in Christ? Have you seen a changed heart in your own life? Are you known for your love for others? If so, praise God. If you haven't seen this change, or you think your reputation's too bad or too far gone, there's still hope. In the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, we see Jesus choose folks with ordinary reputations, or in today's case, even evil reputations, to be chosen instruments to display his glory in the world. Jesus saved Saul, regardless of his reputation. With a new identity, he went from being known as a persecutor of the church to a preacher for the church. And I want to end this morning with a note to the church in Corinth that was written by the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17-21. through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray.